Please stand with me out of love and reverence for God's word as we read this together. It's a short passage, one simple proverb, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. So hear now God's word, for this is indeed his spoken word. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would help us to hear your voice this morning as you speak to us from your word. Father, we do pray that you would uh, set us free from a love of money. Would you help us to delight ourselves in you, our great giver, our great provider. Thank you that you have been so gracious to us. And would you be gracious to us yet again by, by speaking to us clearly. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Money has great power and influence over our lives. Uh, the 19th century journalist Joseph Pulitzer, from whom we get the name the Pulitzer Prize, he was quoted as saying this. He says, money is the great power today. Men sell their souls for it. Women sell their bodies for it. Others worship it. A contemporary writer said this, money gives you the power to do whatever you want to do. I like the idea of being in complete control of my life. And I think if we're honest and we evaluate much of our life, uh, it seems like often our lives are centered around the topic of money or wealth, either the acquiring of it so that we can do what we want with it, or the spending it, the use of that money. But money is a cruel master. Money can enslave. And God is gracious to speak to us so that he might shift our eyes from our money to our maker and from the gift to the giver. Um, and that's what we would hear this morning from Proverbs chapter 3 is that our generous God gives generously to us. And so we must honor him with our wealth. Our generous God gives to us generously, so we must honor him with our wealth. Um, just a, a reminder of the, where we are, um, what we've considered over the past couple weeks to kind of set a context for this passage, which I think is helpful um, as we just said, this falls on the, the heels of Solomon telling us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And if we evaluate our hearts, the, the issue of money is a battleground of trust, of whether or not we will have enough, what we ought to do with money when we have it. Um, and so it is fitting that Solomon begins with this issue that is so near and dear to our hearts. But also last week we looked in the book of James and we considered how God's word or God's law is the law of liberty, that God seeks to deliver us from the enslavement of our sins, to set us free from the bondage of our way of living. And so as we approach this, we ought to also consider the fact that uh, as we hear this, that there's, there's an aspect that our God wants to set us free from something 
to himself, to something that is, is freedom. And so there is freedom in honoring our God. So let's, let's consider this. This is a short enough passage. We really don't need any kind of outline, but we'll, we'll do it anyway. We'll split it into the command and then the promise. Uh, so it begins with the command. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So when, we, when he talks about wealth, you can kind of tell from the context of what Solomon writes in both of these verses that this is a farming uh, community, uh, farming society or agrarian society. He's talking about the first fruits of your produce. He's talking about barns and vats of wine. And, um, but this wealth is uh, a means of provision. It is, uh, we, we tend to think of wealth both of what God provides for our everyday needs, but also um, the what remains after our needs are met. A wealthy person is one who has something that is left over after his needs are met. And God is saying, honor the Lord with your wealth, with both what you have uh, for your needs, but also what is left over. But he also goes a little bit further than that when he says, with the first fruits of all your produce. So a farmer would um, prepare the soil. He would plant the seeds. He would make sure the seeds were watered. He would wait months. He would watch the weather. He would make sure that the, you know, the, the, land, the, the, the garden was cared for. And then finally he would see sprouts after a long period of time. And the first fruits were the first bit of the crop after a long wait, a long amount of working and waiting. And what God is saying, honor, honor me with the first fruits of your produce. From the, what he's saying is from, from the first of what you receive until the last of what you have left over, all that you have, honor me with that wealth. And he says honor, that word honor gives the sense of giving priority to. Uh, everything that we do must be to please him. And the reason is, uh, if we were to see throughout scripture, it's because everything that we have is, it belongs to the Lord and he has given it to us out of his uh, bountiful generosity. And so what he's saying is, all that you have is from me, from the, from the very first sprouts to what is left over, and so honor me with that. The there's a, a stewardship principle that's in play here. A steward is somebody who uh, cares for something that is uh, not their own. A master would entrust something to a steward, and the steward needs to consider how the master would uh, want it to be cared for. And our God says that all that you have is from me. It's it's. It's to be to glorify me, and so care for it as I would care for it. But if we do, then he says, then the barns, your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Uh, he, God, our God meets our faithfulness with abundant provision. He's promising to do that. There's, uh, he says, your barns will be filled with plenty. You will have plenty left over after you honor me with what you do. Um, but he even goes further than that. He says, your vats will be bursting with wine. So when they would collect the grapes 
for uh, a grape harvest, they would bring them to a wine press. And a wine press, they would place the grapes there, and then they would, they would wait, and then they would trample on the grapes. And then the juice from the grapes would go down these channels, and they would be collected in vats. Um, but Solomon says here, uh, it's not there in our ESV, but he says, your, your vats will be bursting with new wine. New wine was wine that was made from ju- the juice of grapes that just, it, it, it was juice that had come off the grapes before they had been trodden. So there was so much grape uh, that um, the, the juice would flow, and it was more potent wine. It was, it was the choice wine. Um, and what, what God is saying here is that your vats will be bursting, will be overflowing from this wine, this juice that is, that is coming even before you've done the work to trod out the grapes. There'll be so much abundant provision that uh, they'll be bursting. In other words, God is saying, honor me with your wealth. And when we do, when we honor him, we lose nothing. We gain it is an investment. Um, and as we, we consider this, this whole topic of money and wealth, uh, this, the issue of money is uh, pre- prevalent throughout Scripture. So much of Scripture talks about the issue of money. In fact, um, there's no singular topic that our Lord Jesus Christ taught on in his earthly ministry more than the issue of money. And I think there's good reason for that, um, because if you consider what does money promise, what, what, is, what is the allure of our hearts to money? I think there's three key promises that money issues to us. The first is, um, we talked about this already, it has this promise of power. If I have money, I have the power to buy things, I have power to buy leisure, recreation. I have power over people. I can pay somebody to do work for me. I can control their behavior by my money. And so it also has the promise of relationships. Uh, Proverbs 14.20 says, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. We delight to be around somebody who has money. They might give us some of it. They might bless us. We might be able to reap from their reward. But also has the promise of security. Um, Proverbs 14, or 10, 15 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, but the poverty of the poor is their ruin. And Proverbs 18 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. If I have this money, if I have this, you know, robust investment retirement account, I will be safe. I will be secure. I'll have no need. Um, But we know, we know that money makes these great promises and yet is unable to perfectly deliver. And we look to money to, to provide these things when God himself is the one that we ought to be looking to for these things. God himself is the one who is all-powerful, who 
governs our relationships and teaches us what is to love, uh, who promises to be our high tower, our strong tower. Um, And so at the heart of it is this battle for a love of God versus a love of money. The heart of the love of money is ascribing to money and wealth the things that our God ascribes to himself. And the, the, the reason we do it, beloved, is because money is tangible. We can grab hold of it. We can deposit it. We can control it. Money promises us the control over these things in our lives rather than yielding control and following the will of our God. And yet, we know that money is a cruel master, that money in enslaves. And so Scripture is, again, kind to us, again and again, when it says, those who desire to be rich fall into a trap, and that the love of money proves to be a snare, because God himself will not compete. He will not compete with our money. He won't say, well, you can love your money and you can love me. He, he wants our whole heart. He wants all of our trust. He wants our full-throated praise. That's why Jesus said, you cannot love God and money. You can't. You will either love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. But we, uh, we have to be clear, it's not money that's the problem. It's, the, it's our hearts. It's our love of money. Money itself is amoral. It is not moral. Um, all of all that we have is from our great God, the God who is the creator God of all things. He has given it to us. Scripture is clear that God makes one rich and makes another poor. He is sovereign even over those things. And here in our passage, our God says, honor the Lord with your wealth. So if we can honor the Lord with our wealth, then wealth has the potential to do good if we use it as God intended it. So what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean to honor the Lord with our wealth? How do we do that? And I think we have to start by focusing on God himself. That God as the, is the great giver of all things. He is the great creator. He is generous. He lavishes on you and me everything that we need. He provides for us in every way that we need. He is benevolent. He does this for both those who love him and those who do not, do not love him. He is generous and kind to all. But as we focus on the giver, we ought to recognize that we have been gifted with all that we have, and that gift ought to result in thankfulness. And thankfulness ought to result in worship. And worship ought to result in imitation of our generous God. So a heart of generosity is at the core, it's, a, it's the fruit of recognizing what we have been given. And we ought to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the perfect image of generosity. Because God gave his son for us. Not because we deserved him, not because we wanted him, but because he was generously caring for us. And the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians, makes clear that 
the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, though he was co-eternal with the Father, all things created by him and for him and through him, all of heaven's riches, he became poor for our sake. He chose not to be born into wealth where he would be worshipped and lavished with gift upon gift. He chose to be born to a poor family from Nazareth and to experience poverty so that by his poverty, Paul says, we might become rich. We might taste true riches so that we might be delivered from our love of money. And so looking at Christ, our thinking must be recalibrated when it comes to wealth. We ought to see that um, all that we have is passing away, that this is not true riches. The true riches are lasting riches in Jesus Christ, and those have been given to us, and they can't be taken away. And so, but with that view view in mind, it ought to transform the way that we use what God has given to us in this life. We use our earthly riches to honor our God. Um, And as we consider that, there's really two aspects to that. One is the acquiring of our wealth and the using of our wealth. So God provides for us, but he provides for us in many ways, but ultimately and primarily through our work, through our work. So we honor God through our work. Six days you shall labor, and a workman is worthy of our, his wages. So our God calls us to work. He calls us to avoid those things where we would acquire wealth by dishonest means through theft or its twin sister, laziness. He would have us work with all of our heart. And even when we uh, consider where our money comes from, whether it's coming from a company or whether it's come from an individual or some support agency, we have to recognize that it's all coming from our great God. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was a carpenter, but we also know that his ministry was supported by individuals. And I assure you that each and every shackle that he had was used to the honor and glory of our God. So he had financial means, and he used them for his glory. And you might struggle to see how God provides through your company. Isn't it just you working and getting paid? But let me encourage you to consider this. The skills that you have were given to you by God. God, in his providence, led you to the company or the school where you work. God brought about the pleasure of the hiring manager to hire you. Uh, He works through you as you faithfully execute your job, and he provides for you through the compensation plan of your company, even while the customers or taxpayers, he is causing them to support your company or your school or your government office, whatever it may be. God is the one who is providing for us through our wealth or through our work, but he is calling us to do it. Um, but when we do, we, so often our focus with work is to acquire wealth, is to try to get as much as we have. And Proverbs 23 says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Don't wear yourself out to be rich, another translation says. 
It's not about the acquiring and the hoarding. It's about using the gifts the Lord has given to you, and the Lord blesses you in the midst of that. So there's the acquiring of our wealth, but then there has to we have to focus on our, the using of our wealth. And it has to start with a, a degree of awareness. For many of us, the idea of budgeting or planning, particularly with our money, is distasteful. But wisdom demands watchfulness. Our hearts are careless. Our hearts wander. God would have us be wise. God would have us honor him, so we must plan. And we must consider what God says for how we ought to use our wealth. And throughout Scripture, we can see that categorized into two areas, how he wants to use our wealth for the benefit of others, but also for the benefit of ourselves. So when we talk about benefit of others, it begins with the aspect of tithing or giving back to our God. In the Old Testament, um, there were strict rules for how the Israelites were to give to our God. He would speak of the tithe. He would speak of first fruits. So the first portion of what they received, uh, the first hope of God's provision, they were to give back to him. In the New Testament, we read it uh, from 2 Corinthians uh, I believe that it's a more stringent requirement that God gives to us because in the Old Testament, it was follow these rules and you will be set. In the New Testament, Paul says, each one of you must consider what you ought to give. Each one of you must evaluate and not do it under compulsion, not do it because you were forced to, but do it from a heart of thankfulness and generosity because God loves a cheerful giver. We must do it with joy, giving back to our God. And But throughout Scripture, including this passage here, whenever we honor God through our giving, he promises blessing. A passage in Malachi, God says, test me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven to bless you. See if I don't do it. I promise I will do this. Test me in this. And I think there's an initial, this is the initial battleground, financial battleground of our hearts, is whether God says, give back to me from what I have given to you. Because if we can grasp that all that we have is from him and for him, and we ought to honor him, then surely we can give him a portion back joyfully saying, thank you, Father, for your kind provision to me. I trust that you will continue to provide for me. But as we work through that and as the Spirit begins to unclench our fists around our money, we see other things in Scripture that uh, we ought to, how we honor him with our wealth. Uh, We ought to pay back our debtors. If we are indebted, we should Pay them back. Proverbs 3 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say in your, to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. And the Apostle Paul talks about that we ought to pay our taxes because God has established authority and he, provi- he cares for those he has placed in authority and he is providing for them through our tax 
revenue. But the ultimate um, bellwether, I think, is this heart of generosity. Um, Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Our God has been so generous to us, it ought to overflow into a heart of generosity. Throughout Proverbs, the heart of a stingy a stingy person is equated with the fool because the fool doesn't recognize the abundant blessing of our God, the ongoing blessing of our God. And so this, the stingy person clings to it as though that is their security and their hope. And throughout all of Scripture, whenever there is a uh, someone who is generous, they're commended and held up as an example for God's people to follow. The early church shared everything that they had so that no one had any need. And in 2 Corinthians, the Macedonians are held up as those who um, were reckless with their generosity. Paul says that it was out of their extreme poverty that they begged to be part of the work of the, the saints. That they said, please let us give. And Paul wanted to say, you don't have enough. And they said, we want to give. We want to be part of this. We want to be generous because God has been so generous to us. And so, brothers and sisters, I would ask you, if you evaluate your heart and your, your with respect to money, and you look there, do you see a spirit of generosity in your heart? Because I know of no clearer evidence that you are able to trust in the Lord with all of your heart than if you have a generous and cheerful heart to give away what he's given to you. I know of no um, clear evidence that you have been able to break free from the love of money than a heart of generosity, even um, a heart that works to be generous. And beloved, you may have heard this from me before, but that has been our desire for Zion Church. Not just individually, yes, individually, but also as a church, as a whole. Uh, you need to know that your elders consider how we can best steward the, the money that uh, the Lord provides for this church through you. We, we want to be wise with each and every dollar, and we want to honor the Lord with our wealth, and we know that that means being a generous church. And that generosity is only possible as God's people are generous. And so we work together in that. And this is necessary, beloved, because our God is generous. And so his children reflect that generosity of our God. But we do have to be clear that God doesn't just give us everything that uh, he does so that we can just give it all away. He does give it to us to provide for us. It is good for us to meet our needs with the, it is honoring to God to, to be provided for. It is honoring to God to 
save and plan for the future. That is a means of future provision. God provides for us through our savings. Um, And God is clear in Scripture that he gives us what he does for our enjoyment. We don't need to live austere lives, but we live joyfully with all that God has provided for us. Ecclesiastes 2 says, There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Our God would have us take joy, have us benefit from the fruit of our labors, but we always have to go back to our heart. And is our heart, whether we're talking about provision or savings or enjoyment or whatever, is our heart being driven by a love and a trust of our great God who has provided for us or not? And the final aspect that I think uh, the scripture teaches us about honoring the Lord with our wealth is the issue of contentment. And this is where we rest in God's good provision for us, his care for us. Uh, Proverbs 30 has this prayer. It seems like a prayer that the person writing it says that I think is a hard prayer for us as Americans to pray. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Asking the Lord to keep us from the perils of poverty or wealth is difficult. And the Apostle Paul said he had learned to be content, whether in plenty or in want. And that should tell us something that many of us would say, well, I think I'd be pretty content if I had plenty. But the love of money is a snare. And it takes contentment even in the midst of plenty. And so our God would have us not have anxious striving or stingy clinging or self-serving financial means, but generous thankfulness. And beloved, this this is a true battleground of our hearts. And so let me encourage you, if you hear the Lord, you hear the Lord's voice speaking to you directly about this, listen to it. Listen to it. Um, Let me encourage you to evaluate your financial habits and see whether they are honoring to the Lord. Consider what changes you might need to make in order to bring glory to his name because he promises blessing. He promises freedom. He promises deliverance. But beloved, know for certain that this is this is only possible because of the work of Christ. You will only honor, truly honor the Lord in Christ Jesus. Scripture is clear that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't, you can't give enough money away to please God. He's not impressed by that. He's impressed by coming in his son, Jesus Christ, who he gives freely as a gift. It's only through faith that the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see that the wealth that God has given to us is passing away and is transient. 
but that true riches are found in his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, gave his riches up so that we might have his riches. And it's only by the spirit of Christ that we can even think to truly honor the Lord with our wealth, that we can walk by faith and make these tough decisions to deny ourselves out of love and honor of our God. And that's, this is a means that God gives us to test the genuineness of our faith, to test, do we trust him with all of our heart? A passage in Malachi is, like I said, the only place in Scripture where our God says, test me, test me in this, and see what, I, see what I'll do. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? If you doubt that God knows what you need, then remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, do not be anxious about anything, for your Father knows that you need these things. And if you doubt that God is willing to care for you, then remember what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, he who did not spare his son, he didn't spare his son, but gave him up for you. How will he not also graciously give you all things? And hear your father, your heavenly father, say to you, see how I have provided for you each and every day. Trust me. Trust me that I will provide for you again and again and again. I promise to be faithful. Look at my son, and that's the proof. I've given you him. I will be faithful to the end. Beloved, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and see if he does not shower you with blessing upon blessing in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.